Hi, this is Pastor Josh. Uh, this is our Wednesday night Bible study. Thank you for joining us on this one. This is uh, Easter week. Whenever you're listening to this, we, we, we went through this study on Easter week. And what we're doing, we're doing something special this week. We just wrapped up a study of the book of Ephesians. We're about to start a new study in the book of Philippians. But this week, since it was Easter week, we want to take a moment and um, do something special. Uh, so what we did and what we're doing right now is, is we're going to do a walkthrough of Easter week in the life of Jesus and, and touch on things he did each day of that week. Now, we're not going to get to everything he did that week because it is an enormous amount of stuff. And the teaching that he did that week um, is overwhelming. But we are going to be jumping uh, to uh, each of the Gospels um, to try to tell a chronological timeline of what went on uh, for Jesus that week. We're going to start on the Sunday, Palm Sunday of that week, uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 35, Luke writes, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now remember, this is on the way into Jericho. Jesus sees this man and he heals this man on the way into town. Uh, and then something quite famous happens when he gets into town. Uh, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse uh, 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus healed um, before the blind man before he got into Jericho. He gets into Jericho, and he spends time with Zacchaeus, and he goes and uh, spends time uh, over there, uh, with him to to uh, quite possibly eat a meal over there with Zacchaeus. And then after he spent time with Zacchaeus, Jesus uh, gives a parable, parable of the ten minas. And after he's given this parable, he heads on. And remember, this is all Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday. He's making a beeline for Jerusalem. So he leaves Jericho, uh, verse 28 of Luke chapter 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, those are two villages that are nearby to Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Uh, Bethphage uh, isn't there anymore, but Bethany is. Uh, a mile and a half, two miles away, uh, these two villages are. Uh, and so when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, 
at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Uh, and so Jesus sends these disciples into the village to, to get this colt. They get the colt, they bring it back, uh, or they, uh, they go to do this. Uh, verse 32, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, what's interesting is this scenario, uh, riding on a colt, this is a direct copy of the situation surrounding the crowning of King Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, the people put their garments on the ground as a sign of his kingship. And here, uh, in, in Luke, Jesus coming in to, to Jerusalem, the crowd does it again in honor of Jesus to uh, recognize his kingship. And the significance of that moment would not have been lost on the educated in the crowd. Uh, verse 37 of Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so Jesus' disciples, they were treating Jesus' approach to Jerusalem as though it were a coronation. And that didn't sit very well with the leaders in the crowd. They considered such talk to be blasphemy because they could not imagine that Jesus would actually be the long-awaited king. Verse 41 of Luke 19. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus coming into Jerusalem, weeps over the unbelief of the people of Jerusalem. He was weeping over their, their lack of faith and the knowledge that they would not believe. He's knowingly on his way to die, and he, he weeps over the lostness of the city that represents the entire nation of Israel. And then he gets into Jerusalem, Mark 11, verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany, the village nearby, with the twelve. Now, we surmise and, and, and believe uh, from this passage, as well as one we're going to look at in a minute, that uh, each evening Jesus would go back and spend the night in the village of Bethany, quite possibly with uh, some friends he had there, maybe Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as well as uh, undoubtedly some other people, maybe some other disciples who, who were followers of his, who had homes in Bethany, but it we know that he was friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and we know that they lived in Bethany. So he may be going back to stay with them. However it is, he goes back and spends the night in Bethany. Uh, so that was Sunday. And then he wakes up on Monday, and look at what happens. Mark 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. So he was hungry. He, he, they get up from Bethany, and they're headed back into Jerusalem. And uh, he's struck with 
hunger. Uh, Verse 13 of Mark 11. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, Jesus, in going in there and doing this, you know, you would think the money changers wouldn't be that wicked of an enterprise. And in reality, it may have even started as something of generosity. People would travel great distances to come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and they would bring a wide variety of money depending on where they came from. So the temple managers had allowed people to set up booths kind of as a currency exchange and other booths to buy top-of-the-line sacrifices. You know, it really seemed like a good service to offer new and potential worshipers. But there were a couple of problems with that. We believe they charged an exorbitant fee on top of that uh, in order to offer that service. But this was also set up in the temple. I mean, not like in the temple where the Jews worship, but in the Gentile area. Because they didn't care about the Gentiles. And so they had all the animals there with the sounds they were making, the smells they had, along with the haggling uh, of the merchants, along with all the money and the money changers going on in the, the area they were worshiping, basically in the sanctuary like we would call it today, where people are supposed to be worshiping next to all of that noise and mess. And they're using that place of, of worship, the place that they're supposed to be worshiping God. There's supposed to be worship going on. They're using it as an opportunity uh, to belittle the Gentiles, uh, to, to interrupt their worship, but also an opportunity to lie and cheap and rip off people coming to worship the Lord. And, and he wasn't having it. So he drove them out, and then he taught them. Uh, Mark 11, verse 17. And as he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So prayer is supposed to be the instrument of God's people, not money. Faithful prayer can do far more than money can even begin to do. So that was Monday. So he went back out of the city, Jerusalem, at the end of Monday. And Monday rolls into Tuesday. He went back into the city, and and he's teaching in the temple uh, on Tuesday. And after teaching for a while, uh, this this is what transpires, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You see, the rich people were putting in large sums, but percentage-wise, the poor widow put in more than they did. Because when they put in a large sum, they went back to their home still containing a lot of money in their bank account. She went back to her home containing nothing. You see, what's really important here is the attitude of the givers. 
Uh, it's not significant how much was given, but how much was left over for personal use. How much the giver trusted God with what was left over. Jesus is still teaching these powerful truths for the life of every believer today. But he does it here in the temple. He, he's dedicating this, this time to instruct his disciples, even though he only has a couple of days left before his crucifixion. He, he's investing powerful moments here. So he leaves the temple again. Two, uh, Wednesday arrives. Uh, Mark 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were now seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now notice, uh, the disciples here are, are piling it on. And it's not just one disciple. It says they scolded her. And as often happens, when one person says something negative, others will dogpile on top of that statement, whether they agree with it or not. They uh, delve into a mob mentality and build momentum where it's already begun. But Jesus, verse 6, said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So for Judas, this is kind of the last straw. We learn in one of the other Gospels that Judas was the treasurer of the group, and he would freely help himself to what was in the treasury. And so when this massively expensive thing was wasted in his mind, he goes to the chief priest and says, okay, I'm ready to betray Jesus. I'm ready to give him to you. It almost implies that what they were planning was widely known. And Judas goes and says, I will help you in your endeavor. And so they pay him some money and he looks for an opportunity. Now, this is Wednesday. That opportunity comes the very next day. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This was the night of Thursday. You see, for the Jew... Uh, the day lasted from sunset to sunset. So in this instance, Thursday night sunset for them would be considered the same day as the following afternoon. Uh, and so this unleavened bread day, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed on that Friday afternoon. Uh, but this being the night of Thursday, the Jews considered it the same uh, day, part of the same day. Uh, so this is Thursday night, uh, verse 8 of Luke 22. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare a Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, until the master of the house, the teacher, says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now this preparation involved going to the temple uh, to see the sacrifice of their lamb and then taking it back, cooking the lamb, preparing the rest of the symbolic elements of the meal. So this errand that Jesus is sending them on is not quick by any means. But this is also an extremely important role to prepare this highly significant meal for the very one whom it symbolizes. Luke twenty-two fourteen, 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. It is very important that this new covenant guaranteeing heaven would be sealed with blood, and not just any blood, but the blood of God himself. For that is really the only way that payment could be high enough to remove every sin of every human being to ever have lived. It also shows how much greater Jesus is than us. Whereas our one death is not enough to pay for even one sin, we would still go to pain and punishment. Only the death of God has the power to remove all of those wrongs. Luke 22, verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who was going to do this? So Jesus lays it out and says, You guys, you twelve, one of you is going to betray me. And he knows who it is. And the one who it is, Judas, before the evening is over, knows that Jesus knows. So Judas gets up and leaves the meal, and then Jesus and his disciples get up and leave. The rest of his disciples, they, they exit. Uh, Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. It was getting later and later into the night here. Uh, you know, it's, it's very late, on close to midnight. Midnight's about to roll over uh, on into the next day. Uh, it may be even the early hours of Friday morning. But it was typical for them, normal for them, to head out to the Mount of Olives when it was dark, when it was late, uh, when they happened to be in town. And that's the very reason uh, that Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus. Luke twenty-two forty-seven. 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, 
And Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. See, when they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus spent some time there praying. He put eight of the disciples in one area, then he took three of the disciples to another area, and then he went to another area and he prayed. Then he came to the disciples and they were asleep. And he says, guys, stay awake and pray. Watch with me. Then Jesus went off and he prayed again. And then when he came back, he said, wake up. My betrayer is at hand. And here comes Judas and betrays him. And the disciples run scared. All of them run for the hills. They end up assembling again in that upper room where they did the Lord's Supper and locked themselves in that room uh, for some time. But Jesus sees all of his disciples run away. And then after having run away, Peter comes back, it says here uh, in Luke twenty-two fifty-four, 54. Uh, the chief priest was holding Jesus at his house uh, until the Jewish ruling council could be assembled, till they could get enough guys to uh, have court. And then as night turned into morning, Jesus was taken before the Sanhedrin. That's when Friday morning comes, Luke twenty-two sixty-six. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So Jesus didn't necessarily give them a straight answer there, uh, but they took it to mean that he considered himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah. Luke 23, 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. You see, even though their law would say somebody who's making this claim, but making this claim falsely, uh, they said that, that that person deserved death. Uh, they would need the Roman governor's approval in order to execute someone. So they take him to Pilate, who is that guy, the Roman governor. And he's the only one in the media area who had the highest authority to execute such a prominent figure. And we see here, this, this is the big play for the Sanhedrin. This is what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to die. This is what they were working for, conspiring for. And so they all pack up and they take Jesus to Pilate. Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, what you notice in their accusations, they're trying to manipulate Caesar, uh, or not Caesar, uh, Pilate, by pitting Jesus against Caesar, saying that Jesus is opposing Caesar openly uh, and setting himself up to be a king in the place of Caesar. And so Pilate turns to Jesus and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 3. And he answered him, You have said so. Similar to the way he answered the Sanhedrin before. Uh, verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. You see, Pilate is no fool. He knows that the power of Rome is in the support of the mobs. He wants to keep the people happy, but at the same time, he does not want to execute a famous, innocent citizen that might put him at odds with Rome itself, even though the power of Rome is in the mob. 
And uh, so he's weighing that political decision in his mind as he uh, issues that statement. I find no guilt in this man. Luke 23, 5. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. Now, they said the magic word. They said Galilee. When Pilate heard this, verse 6, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at this time. Pilate wanted to pawn off this responsibility, if at all possible. And Galilee, Herod was another guy, a Roman official who was in charge of that region. So he says, okay, fine, send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with it. I don't want this uh, uh, issue, this controversial issue before my uh, plate. Send him over there. So they send him over uh, to Herod. And uh, he comes into Herod, Luke 23, verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing, sent him back to Pilate. Now, notice, Jesus answered the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. Jesus answered Pilate. But Jesus did not answer Herod. Jesus did not speak at all to Herod. And Herod, not getting anything from Jesus, proceeds to mock him and dresses him up like a king, making fun of him, and then sends him back over to Pilate. But then Luke 23, 12, this is very interesting. It says, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. So, even political enemies can become friends when they encounter Jesus together. John chapter 19, Jesus comes back to Pilate. And uh, John chapter 19, John writes, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. See, again, Pilate doesn't want the political fallout of this moment to be on his resume. He, he wants to be able to lay the blame on somebody else when this thing backfires. Uh, John chapter 19, uh, verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You see, Pilate was deeply Roman, and as such, he was deeply superstitious. Uh, he didn't want any dealings whatsoever with a god. Whereas before, he didn't want to risk making Rome or the people mad. Now things have escalated if he were to risk angering a god. Verse 9 of John chapter 19. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, Now this is very telling. The chief priests, the men who were supposed to look to God for all things. No one is above God. This is what they said. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Mark 15, 21. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was about the third hour when they crucified him. That's 9 a.m. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that's noon to three. So he was put on the cross at 9 a.m. Now it's six. Or now it's the sixth hour, noon, uh, until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. It's dark during that period of time, those three hours. Luke 23, 45. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, remember that the priests and the traditional Jews, they were sacrificing their Passover lambs at 3 p.m., promptly at 3 p.m. So that's the exact moment Jesus died. So the exact moment that the Passover lambs are being sacrificed, Jesus, the one whom the lambs symbolized, was also being sacrificed, which also puts an added intensity to the tearing of the curtain in the temple from top to bottom, since it was torn as the lambs were being sacrificed, symbolizing the, the opening of God's presence to anybody and everybody who would believe. Luke twenty three fifty. Now there was a man named Joseph, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So Joseph, he's rich, and he's also a member of the Sanhedrin, and so he's able to make a request uh, of Pilate. Now Luke twenty-three fifty-three. Then he took it down, Jesus' body, and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. So this, Luke is telling us this is Friday. It's late on Friday. It's not quite sundown. So Sabbath hasn't started yet, but it's getting close. And so Joseph is going to have to hurry uh, here if you want to take part in the observance of the Sabbath the next day. Uh, Luke twenty-three fifty-five. The women 
who had come with him from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. You see, Joseph had been in such a hurry to get Jesus down that he wasn't able to do all of the, the burial ritual that they typically would have done. And so he brings Jesus down, puts him in the tomb, puts a stone in front of the tomb. And then the women saw this and they were going to come back and, and finish um, the burial process. And then Friday ends and Saturday begins. Matthew 27, 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now Sunday morning arises. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Luke 24, verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, uh, the men, the angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man might, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. John 20, verse 2. So she ran, this is Mary Magdalene, ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. That was Luke 24, verse 11. Now back to John, chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. And as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And then Jesus went in Luke 24, 13 uh, through 27, and he walked with two of the disciples on the road to this town called Emmaus. 
And they don't recognize him until they get to their house and they invite Jesus in and he's having a meal and he breaks the bread. And as he does, they recognize him and then he disappears right in front of their eyes. Well, those two guys pack up and run straight back to Jerusalem and begin to tell the disciples, uh, the other disciples there, uh, uh, what they had just experienced. And uh, as they're telling the other disciples this, uh, in Luke 24, verse 36, it says, uh, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them. This is John 20, verse 20 now. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Back in Luke 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. After having raised from the dead and completed his work, the first words to his followers are ones of mission. He desires that the news of his death and resurrection be spread everywhere and to all people. Jesus, his purpose in coming was to die and raise. That's why a huge chunk of each one of the Gospels is dedicated to that last week of Jesus' life. And as we see and have seen throughout this study right here, right now, Jesus did a lot that week. And I'm not even covering, uh, you know, half of it. He did so much and taught so much. It uh, helps us to understand the, the truth of John's words that if everything that Jesus did were written down, the world could not contain the books. And so as we prepare for Easter, I hope that seeing Jesus' march throughout the week uh, will help you, as it has helped me, um, better focus on the purpose of Jesus coming and really the entire reason we celebrate Easter, his death and his resurrection, all of our sins forgiven and eternal life granted. Thank you all for joining us on this one and I will catch you in the next one.